It's the Brexit Breakdown Podcast from the UK in a changing Europe. Hello and welcome to another Brexit Breakdown Podcast. I'm James Miller, author, journalist, man on a mission to find out more about Brexit. And on this episode, I was joined by... Anand Menon, the director of UK and a Changing Europe, and our guest was Mary Cray, Labour MP for Wakefield and chair of the Environmental Audit Committee. So we talked about what Brexit means for the environment, but mainly, to be honest, we found ourselves talking quite a lot about Wakefield, because that is both Mary's seat and Anand's hometown. So we got into a discussion about what Brexit means for the North, as well as what it means for the environment, and Michael Gove's love of turtles, and uh, a bit of recommendations wars at the end of this podcast, which is worth sticking around for. So uh, we began by talking about whether Brexit is even going to happen, because Mary thinks it might not. So here's her explaining how it could be stopped. There are different mechanisms, aren't there? One is for us to ask for an extension to the Article 50 process, yeah. particularly if we end up in a people's vote scenario where we say, look, we're looking at the deal. It's not looking too hot. The people are clamouring uh, to, to be able to change their minds on this. The government is anxious to avoid a general election on this. Um, and we might need six months to, to put this to the people uh, in a referendum. So we could extend the Article 50 process, which would mean we wouldn't leave because it would be absurd to have a referendum uh, which then says actually we want to rejoin if, after we've left. So, mm-hmm. so look, it, it, this is a. I, I think there's a danger here about talking about ab- absorbing what the conservative, the right wing of the Conservative Party want us to think, which is we're on a we're we're on we're on a path and there's no getting off. We're a democracy. In a democracy, the people and their elected representatives can change their mind mm-hmm. and you can change course, and. Um, with goodwill, if um, with the European Union, I think if we were to say, look, we're going to have a, a a referendum, a people's vote on this deal, can can you push it back for six months? You know, I think that would be met with a with a an interesting, an interested and sympathetic ear. How do we get from here to that people's vote? Well, it's a long and winding road, um, and um, it's been Sorry, a it's been. Let's just. It's going on the playlist. We've been trying to build up a Brexit playlist. That's I've a new one. one. Adding that you. one. I've got one for you. Um, but look, we we were told we would be out by next year. Then we were told we'd be out by next year, and there'd be a really long transitional period. My prediction is we won't be out by next year because this is just too damn hard. This is the largest administrative, constitutional, and political task since World War Two. The the government does not have a majority for a hard Brexit, and I just don't see the politics. Uh, the constitution and the administrative wrinkles, and they're not really wrinkles there, it's a Himalayan mountain range of wrinkles, um, being sorted in the next six months. And the the, it, the other thing is, I got into all sorts of trouble and, um, and annoyed my uh, voters in Wakefield by um, voting against triggering Article 50. I said at the time, the government doesn't know what they want, and they've got no plan. And sure enough, you know, a month, six weeks later, we're in the middle of a general election. Uh, three months wasted. Here we are, 700 days after the referendum. Government wanted must have clue. These people do not have a clue about what they're doing. They are staggering on week from week. I've never known politics to be so unstable uh, and so unpredictable. But 
just out of interest, those people in Wakefield, do they now come up to you and say, you were right after all, or are they still as leery as ever? Um, I've had letters from people saying, uh, we were told this would be simple and quick and painless. It's not been any of that. We've been sold a pop. This is outrageous. I, I demand another referendum. I demand a vote on it. And that's from a Leave voter, because I, I went back and checked. Um, and there are there is, without a doubt, a tide... The public mood is changing. People in in Wakefield, which obviously you and I know very well, um, are looking at politics and they're thinking there's fewer police, there's cuts to schools and the NHS is in crisis. And all these people in Westminster are banging on about is Brexit. Mm -hmm. It seems remote and distant and it seems a total sort of beltway um, ob obsession. Now, we have to bang on about Brexit because it's it's massive and it's going to affect every area of public life, every area of the state, and it's going to reduce our tax base over time as well as, business, as, as this long, slow puncture happens to the British economy, if it happens. Um, so yes, I'm getting um, freight companies um, wanting to see me, saying, um, you know, we will not have enough licenses to do our wagon movements over to Europe. Um, I've got a, I've visited a carpet factory where they said our, our work workforce is has left. Um, we have struggled to get the labour we need, and our foam, which we import from Germany, um, they make carpets and beds, um, has gone up by forty percent. We've had to pass it on, and our biggest export market is Ireland, and we don't know what we're going to be doing over the Irish border in nine months' time. You know, people businesses are trying to sign contracts now that is. Um, that, that, that they can't sign. We did a big uh, investigation on the Environmental Audit Committee. We first of all looked at fluorinated gases, asthma inhalers, um, and how we're going to manage that. That's, that's complicated and quite technical. We looked at the chemicals industry. At the moment, if you're a chemical manufacturer on Teesside or an adhesive manufacturer mm -hmm. in Stoke-on-Trent, and these are real, real businesses, you register that chemical with the European Union and you have influence on that regulation system because you can sit around the table and say, actually, it's not poisonous if you wear a mask and you do this. Mm -hmm. Okay. When we leave, if we leave, just fell into my own trap there, um, that registration falls. We are a third country. So that manufacturer, that adhesive maker has to hire somebody to be their representative in France, in Germany, in Holland, in Italy, to, to re-register. So they're going to have to pay another 10, 20, 30, 70,000 pounds on average, 70 grand to re-register to continue exporting. They are then going to have to re-register with the new British Chemicals Agency and the registration that they've already paid 70 grand for falls. So they've been regulated not once, not twice, but three. they'll have paid for three registrations. Tell me how that is good for British business. All right. Um, I hear all that. But my response would be, uh, well, it's a question, but it's also a sort of response. Um, uh, immigrants, you know, uh, I get what you're saying. And you mentioned, you know, the issues with schools and hospitals and why is everybody obsessed with Brexit here? How do you get the environment into that argument? And if there is to be another referendum, the environment's not going to persuade anybody. Look, everyone wants the right to breathe clean air, to, to swim on clean beaches and, and, to, um, and to be treated with dignity at work. And actually, those are fundamental uh, rights that are about what, what it means to live in a decent society. And I don't think people are going to give, up, give them up without a, a fight. If everyone wants <clears throat> this, right, if everyone wants those rights, 
then can't our government give them? Yeah, Michael Gove's not going to dirty the beach. I mean, that sounds like he's going to do a dirty protest, so I don't mean like that. I mean, he's going to protect our beach, isn't he? Because he loves, he loves turtles. Um, I've no doubt that uh, Michael loves turtles and fish and all, um, all tiny beasties. Um, but... Um, why? Why have you no doubt? Um, because you see the actual evidence of this. I mean, he gives it all out with the policies. Well, I've he, never talks, seen he actually... talks a good talk, but we've yet to see evidence of him walking the walk, haven't we? I mean, look, he's been an activist DEFRA secretary. Um, you know, he, he follows on from Liz Truss, who was famous for her cheese mm. her cheese speech. Um, Owen Patterson, who the Badgers have moved the goalposts. And um, Caroline Spellman, let's sell the forests. I don't think so, Caroline. Um, so, you know, um, he, he's following in illustrious footsteps. Um, but um, he, he has unblocked certain things. And on issues like plastics and deposit return scheme. He has done things where previous uh, Tories, uh, um, secretaries of state have said, it's put it in the too difficult. Mm. Now what he's done is make a lot of announcements and then he's re-announced that he's gonna have a consultation. And then Philip Hammond has said, we're gonna have um, a consultation on taxing plastic. So what I'm worried about is there's now a sort of jockeying for position on plastics between Hammond and Gove on who you know who can good. be greener than thou. Good Not thing, good though. because what, what industry needs, what the waste industry needs is certainty. Um, uh, you know, research man from uh, UK Changing Europe. Yes. Um, nobody cares about worms when they're voting on this stuff, are they? Do they? Well, I mean, I'm just thinking back to the referendum, mm. I mean, it's interesting should, but they because, don't. you know, we ran a load of stuff on the environment on our site and got very little traction because the debate was about, as you said, it was about immigrants, yeah. it was about money, yeah. it was about all <clears> sorts of things, <throat> but it wasn't... And I, I wonder, I do wonder whether, if if we had another referendum, whether it just wouldn't be the same thing all over again. It would be about lies, it would be about betrayal, it would be about the evil European Union. We would never, in that campaign, talk policy, would we? I think we've done more policy talk about the EU over the last two years than we've done in the previous 50. But not as a, mm. 40. As a country or as Parliament? Um, well, that's a good point. I mean, I certainly feel I've done a lot of talk about it in <coughs> Parliament. I'm not sure that the... I don't know, though. I think the country is beginning to understand it. I think businesses understand it. I think, hasn't the National Federation of Fishermen's Organisations come out and said we, we were sold a pop? You know, various people that were arch advocates for Brexit, the farmers included, by the way, um, have suddenly had buyer's remorse. Um, and I think um, I think people are seeing on the on the TV every uh, every every night that it's not going well. That the Brexit on the terms of which it was sold to us, which was controls on immigration and three hundred and fifty million quid a week for the NHS, oh, that's yeah. not happening anytime soon. Chris Grayling has just said, "Well, if the customs thing isn't ready, we'll just open the borders." It's like Chris. You won the referendum by promising Wakefield people controls on immigration, and now you've said you're going to deliver that by an open border policy. Well, good luck with that. And by the way, Rotterdam and Calais are not going to be open borders, so British families are going to be sitting in their cars, and British goods are going to be sitting in their lorries waiting to come through. And this is a government that couldn't do a lorry park in Kent because it didn't do an environmental impact assessment and got brought into judicial review. Don't start him on lorry parks. No, I know, but he flipping loves lorry parks. You're right. You're right. It was about immigration and it was about the NHS. What it wasn't about was our country's rules and regulations and it wasn't about our country's prosperity we've gone from the fastest growing country uh in the g20 to the lowest growing country and and business investment is frozen and when the dutch say 
don't buy parts from Britain because they don't count towards EU rules of origin, so you won't be able to export them in our trade deals to South Korea and Canada. That brings it home, I think, in a way that politicians can't bring. But let, let me ask you two questions based on that. Firstly, but what if people blame the European Union for this? That is to say... That's certainly what the government wants. The negotiations are going badly, we're not getting what we want. That just proves our point. They're malicious buggers and they're out to get us. So why would we stay in? And the second question is, and you sort of hinted it, you've nibbled around the edges, and I see the point of this, but it's a really difficult thing to argue, I think, in front of public opinion. One of the advantages about the European Union is it protects us from our own government, is it provides an extra layer of sort of judicial authority that makes it harder for us to undermine rights, whether they're environmental rights, whether they're workplace rights. You can't just pass a simple vote in Parliament and get rid of them because the EU won't let you. It's quite a hard thing to argue to public opinion, isn't it? We want to stay in because we want to constrain Parliament. Well, first of all, on the EU being uh, the bad guys, uh, that is definitely uh, the mantra that the Conservatives want to put out. I'm not sure that that is what comes across when the Prime Minister comes back empty-handed and tries to sort of shuffle uh, a little bit of Brexit talk into the walk between, uh, you know, the toilet and the committee room, you know, because basically she's trying to do these negotiations in the margins of other meetings, which is very, very difficult. So that's the first thing. Um, the EU is a rules-based system. We have a customs union with a common external tariff. Do you want to be in that? Yes or no? It's really literally this simple. The, the, there's a rules-based system around a single market. Do you want to, You're in the single market now. That works well for your economy. Do you want to stay in it? Yes or no? And if the answer to both those questions, custom union and single market, is no, then you can't solve the Northern Ireland border issue, and you're putting, you know, the Good Friday, the terms of the Good Friday Agreement at risk. Well, you can. You can just separate Northern Ireland in a regulatory way from the rest of the country. Well, that's what that's what's being proposed, and that will never be accepted by the Democratic Unionist Party. Although Michael Gove, when I asked him about this at the last DEFRA questions, did sort of hint and said it was more important about the the border between um, the island of Ireland and you know he kind of hinted and talked around that so but basically it's all it's all fantasy so you're either in the customs union and in the single market or there's problems in Ireland so you know for me Northern Ireland and the and the Irish issue is is the rock on which Brexit will founder because I cannot see how that circle can be squared the second thing and you know and, and then the second thing is We've got a government who has, you know, is still negotiating with itself. So for me, it's people look and think they're not doing very well, are they? So I, they they know the EU is is negotiating to protect its own interests, but they also think our interests aren't being protected by these guys. The second thing is about protecting us from our own government. Look, you, I agree that the environment was not on the doorstep when I knocked on doors in the referendum. In fact, I met a, a man who was. Um, who is in Wakefield and is a member of Friends of the Earth. And I said, oh, we've done a report into our environmental rights and protections. He goes, it's all about immigration. Got to stop immigration. I was like, okay, <laughs> gotcha. Um, and that's when I knew that this was thing was not going to be stopped. Immigration is no longer on people's minds. It's no longer um, an issue that I've had raised on the doorstep with me in the last year. People know we've got shortages in the NHS. 
they know that we've got labour shortages and we know that there's been a Brexitus. We know people are leaving because um, with the devaluation of the pound, those people who haven't bought a mortgage or, or got family here are thinking, actually, I can make as much money now, move to Germany or France and earn, earn in euros and, and be better off than in Britain. So... Um, but is, is it no longer on people's minds because they miss the people who've left or who haven't come or because they think Brexit has sorted it? I don't know. I don't know the cause for that. Um, but you what, should know. Yeah, you're the academic. Yeah. Have you not got an answer well, to Yeah, that? you need a research project on that. No, I don't have an answer have to you that, not? actually, no. I bet you've looked into it. I mean, I know that the, I mean, you're absolutely it. right that the salience of immigration has just fallen off the charts. Uh, and there is some evidence that the Brits, in a Brexit context, are now more liberal about immigration than they seem to be before the referendum. But what I haven't seen is anyone digging into that question of... Why? You know, is this a Brexit thing? I, we can be more tolerant and more open now because we control our borders because we've left the European Union, or is it a general thing that would be the case if we weren't leaving? That, I don't know. No. Well, that's something to unpick. But you're, you're, you asked me... The second question was about we want it to pre- protect us from our government. Um, what... I remember when the the um, government tried to sell the forests and there was, you know, I knew we were going to win when we had the British Horse Society, so the sort of count, Tory Shire County horsemen and women and the Socialist Worker Party all signed up. <laughs> I was like, I've, my, my, my work is done here, we're going to win this. And after the, the final... They did, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I was the centrist. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I was leading it from the centre, um, and um, so you know, when 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 they, we'd had the vote and they said no, no, we're gonna, we're definitely gonna sell the forest. So I was like, that's the final no. That means the yes is coming. And sure enough, four days later, you know, oh, we've changed our mind. Here's the most you know screeching handbrake U-turn you've ever seen a government perform. People care about nature and the environment they also care about their kids and grandkids they care about their friends and relatives that went off to spain to retire and have lived the dream and you know and they people do care about these issues and they also care about having um somebody lovely a lovely nurse when they go into hospital and if there isn't a lovely nurse they want to know why Mm. um or a lovely doctor um and these things are now coming home i think in a way that um, couldn't be explained beforehand. So my argument is not we need we need protections from our own government. My argument on the EU is that it's the longest and most successful peace process that the world has ever seen. It's a, as the Archbishop of Canterbury said, you know, it's it's a, an incredible human achievement. It's um it's an idea. It's an ideal, and it is our best defence in a fast moving. Um, climate changing quicker than we would like it to change and in potentially in very very damaging ways um, unstable world and do we fancy you know going off and negotiating our defense and security on our own let alone our fishing rights with the Icelanders because let me tell you those guys are hardcore it's an edit someone said something boring or illegal maybe told some slanderous story about boris johnson you'll never know i know you want to talk about wakefield uh, we do, <laughs> so we do. Let's, um basically was there any european money in the hetworth because that's um, wakefield right that's basically wakefield i don't think there was there's definitely european money in st george's community center in lopset because i saw their little sign and oh. i was like why is the sign? Why is the sign falling down? Get that sign up. Um, uh, but nobody there was, goes there. They all go to the Hepworth, right? That's, there that's, was European money into um, well, Wakefield. Well, not from Wakefield. What, goes to the Hepworth? 
No, loads of people from Wakeford go to the Hepworth. He's but lots of people from outside. You, you, you doubt, have you got a donor on it? No, oh, I've got to show you the photos from the latest ex- Anthony McCall's exhibition. It was a light exp- exhibition. You could go in and walk in light sculptures. It was great. That brilliant. It, I'll show you the photos. They can accompany this uh, this yeah. podcast. But um, right, what does what does Brexit money... mean for you know Wakefield, the North in general? Um, is there a, a, a different uh, impact? Is there a unique impact on the North compared to other parts ben- of the UK? We're net beneficiaries. Yorkshire is a net beneficiary. Uh, yeah. So we get more out of the EU than we put into it per capita. So that's the first thing mm. in terms of community transport, in terms of um, European Social Fund, all those courses to retrain miners um, when the coal pits uh, shut down through the 80s and 90s and, and still now. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we still have a manufacturing base in Yorkshire. We have the green corridor uh, around manufacturing wind turbines. There's the the sort of wind corridor with Siemens in the Mm. hull. Um, We have a lot of heavy engineering um, defence. All of these companies Mm. are affected if there is a tariff, if we leave the customs union. We have a chemicals industry. I've got a sulfites um, plant in my constituency that is a joint venture with an Italian company. All the issues around chemical regulation kick into that company and that plant. It's been there for 150 years. So these there are very old industries in Wakefield that will be impacted in ways that we don't yet know from uh, this proposal to leave. Back to your question about protecting us from the government. Well, actually, sometimes you do want somebody else to protect you from the government and sometimes you do want uh, to be part of a, you know... Is there an argument that the North needs protection from the government? Or from Tory governments? Or from London? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, yes, true, I'm saying the government, Westminster, London, I don't want to phrase that. And look, we've had Chris Grayling, arch-Brexiteer, who's overseen... The oh, non the, electric- the electrification I mean- of a branch line north of Blackpool, 17 miles of track, and there's such a fiasco now that we've got cancellations, we've still got hideous trains, we've got trains with no heating travelling over the Pennines in the snow two months ago. You know, this is the man that wants to throw our borders open and lead us into a bright, bright blue yonder. I mean, seriously. But Chris Grayling is not typical of anything, He's is a he? transport secretary. He's not... Typical transport secretary. He's not typical of anything. Well, I mean, he's got a reverse Midas touch. Hasn't I know, he? Let's you face have it. to be uh, impartial. Are you allowed to have a, a, an opinion on Chris Greening? Surely he's you can be a impartial. Less than Stella tenure as transport secretary. Yeah, I think exactly. And Justice Secretary yes. and DWP Secretary. I mean, this is the thing. You can't, go to, that, you can't go to Chris Greening right because man. he's just funny, right? I mean, you know. I know no, he's not. He's not. It would. He would be funny if he wasn't the transport yeah, secretary. Yeah, I take your point, but he's kind of funny, and he's so bad, right? It becomes a sort of. It's a so bad he's good thing. It's like it's so awful that you have to laugh right no one's career. laughing on northern rail and no one's laughing in on the thames link uh, franchise and the, this is this is how does a come how does a country get on people get on through education you get social mobility so that's what takes working class kids like me mm. and anand out of out of coventry and wakefield and mm-hmm. puts us into places where we're in podcast land which that is, is, that is the, basically the, the, that's, the medical, it's that's, living the dream yeah. it is dream come true and you do it, you, how do you access education and work? You do it through a car, a bike, a train. In my case, it's a bike mm. most of the time and, and a train. But if, you, if your train services do not run reliably and efficient, efficiently and your bus services, 
then you, you, there can be no social mobility without physical mobility. That's how all modern advanced societies get on and countries that don't have roads, bus networks do not get on. And that's the basis of a modern Western economy. And I'm afraid the North has just been consistently left behind. You've done lots of different uh, seminars, Anna. You've done uh, Brexit in Ireland. You've done Brexit in fishing. <coughs> I believe you've got Brexit in gender. I'm looking forward to that one particularly. I wasn't um, invited you. And okay. now it's been on the podcast, it has to happen. Um, have you done Brexit in the North? No, but we will. We, we did an event. You're in, from the North. We did an event. Some in, sort of trade actually, camp. that's a lie. We did a Brexit in the North event in Leeds right, so you have. about two or three weeks ago. <laughs> mm. well, it must How have been good. It? You've forgotten it already. Well, I mean, what's interesting is it's a totally different debate, isn't it? No one's talking about. I mean, people there weren't talking about customs union or Northern Irish border. They were saying, you know, our lesson from Brexit is there's a bunch of people around here who feel they've been ignored by government, which is why many of them voted Leave. Sort it out. Yeah. And the irony of Brexit is that it is, it is the incubus that will suck the life out of government. So all the things that made people think they were left behind, which is crap transport, um, schools that were underperforming, um, medical services that couldn't recruit people to them, all those things have been exacerbated by obviously eight years of austerity, 10 years of austerity, but also um, a, a political focus on what's happening down here and in Brussels rather than in the lives of people in Wakefield, Leeds and But the interesting Manchester. thing for me is the renewed energy in the debate about devolution now. Yeah. Which I think could be, I mean, there's this silly row about whether Yorkshire's a proper place and whether it should have one. Yeah, well, it's good news that Dan's in as the South Yorkshire mayor. it's good news that people are talking about it again. Yeah. Isn't it, James? I'm not doing Yorkshire devolution. I I got in trouble last time for comparing Yorkshire to Nazi Germany. Um, (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) I just suggested there's two bits, right? And then one is going to try and take over the other one. Eventually, it's going to be like an Anschluss. That's the the end goal for Yorkshire devolution. West Yorkshire is clearly the hub. Talking and editing, talking and editing. Let's finish with the features. Uh, the first of which is the best thing and the worst thing. <laughs> best thing! Oh. Worst thing. What will be the worst thing about Brexit? The long, slow puncture to the British economy. Okay, and obviously everyone's going to feel that in their pocket. Yes, and in their public services. And what will be the best thing about Brexit? Because surely there's potential for upsides, right? It's not going to be unremitting bleakness, is it? Yes. Oh, I'm going to have to axe this, this feature because whoever, whichever side you're anyone on, you just who say... Says, anyone who says there's going to be an upside to Brexit needs the little Brexit Tinkerbell fairy ringing in their ears. Oh, because come on, there has to be some upside. That's buying into the... No, leaving a, a trading block of 500 million people, uh, cutting off your trade deals, which affect 60% of your trade, to go it alone in an uncertain, unstable, in, insecure world is not the actions of a, of, you know, a rational government something will be cheaper nothing will be che- May- i tell you what will be, be cheaper um what will be cheaper is now we've had the armageddon scenario which is locked in yeah. a safe in in the dexu department and let's face it you would wouldn't you um but what will be cheaper is um if you can't get your strawberries over to supermarkets in ireland and in belgium and you can't get your lamb and your beef and lamb, that then the price will go down very for a very short period of time until the farmers no longer grow strawberries, no beef, and lamb. Strawberries are, will they? Well, they'll be rotting in the fields. Um, but yeah, go, uh, yeah, you'll like be free days. strawberries yeah. for the first year, and then after that, everyone will grub up the strawberry beds and just collect oh. the subsidies and not grow. Oh, that sounds not grow a, okay, food. positive. Free strawberries for a year. That but there'll be less brilliant. food. 
That'd be oh, less all right. food. But lots of strawberries, free strawberries for a year. That's not a bad sale. I'll have that. For, for one year. Yeah, well. And then, like I say, farmers behave rationally and they won't they won't grow them anymore. That's, that's the issue. Um, and the other feature is... What's it called, Anand? Oh, I can't remember. In the unlikely event, this podcast has not enlightened you sufficiently. Uh, recommendations. Um, you know, people want to understand Brexit. There is an appetite out there to try and get their heads around what's going on. But a lot of it is uh, complicated, obviously not the work of the great UK Changing Europe. What would you recommend, let's start with Mary, to people who want to understand Brexit? Well, I thought I was going to be asked to do a song. So my song... Yeah, you can do a song, that'd be brilliant. Is the rolling, the, no, I'm not going to sing it, but you can you can get the yeah. track and overlay it at the end. Yeah, yeah, we're looking to do that. Which is you can't always get what you want. Ah, oh, nice you one. you try sometimes, you can get what you need. Uh... So we might get what we need out of Brexit. Um, it might not be Brexit. Oh, well, yes, we're not going to Brexit, are we? So that's fine. <laughs> what you need is so not you can to... always get what you no, want. No, 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 because what you need is not to Brexit, and you're suggesting you'll get what we need. Okay, Possibly. very good. Possibly. The Brexit playlist is on. We're going to get there by the end of this series. We're going to have a good 10 or 11 songs. Um, what have you got, Anna? Have you got a song? Well, actually, the song, the song that summarises my mood at the moment is probably comfortably numb. But uh... <laughs> That's a bit harsh. <laughs> I'm Isn't that a, get... that a song about being stoned? <laughs> yeah. Are you yeah. stoned? No. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, what, what would you recommend to understand Brexit? Actually, I'll tell you what. A serious recommendation. Read the stuff on the Hansard Society website, which explains Parliament. Okay, that's a good one. Um, puts you in the same bracket as uh, Grant Chaps, who of course said, watch BBC Parliament. I disagree violently. I think life's too short, and I don't have the attention span to watch myself speaking, let alone any other any other brother. Well, well so, this is where there'll be one or is, two listeners who are MPs. This is somebody dissing another recommendation. I haven't had that yet. Recommendation um, wars, but fine. So okay. you need bite size. You need to follow a couple of good people on Twitter. I yeah. like James O'Brien. Oh He's, yeah. He has a way of synthesising. Um, what it all means and the absurdity of what, what we're doing yes, it does. and the sort of self-harm that we're doing um, I think some of the commission spokespeople are quite funny I, I do like some of the official uh, commission tweets because you, you kind of get an unfiltered it's unfiltered by the government and the UK yeah. tabloid media's uh, spin on it and um, there are some people who I think are very close to government on this. So I always am very interested in what Tim Shipman writes on the Sunday Times at about half past nine on a Saturday night. I always like to see what his splash is. Close to government. It's fair to say he's close to government, yes. <laughs> so at least, well, he's basically sitting in the cabinet room most of the time, it seems. <laughs> So, there's Mary Cray dissing Grant Shapps' recommendation. Seems uh, this country is getting so divided they can't even agree on recommendations on the Brexit Breakdown podcast. Who'd have thought it? Uh, interesting discussion there, I think. Not least because we ended up having to ask Anand if he was stoned. That's got to be a first, right? And we got some good new tunes to add to the Brexit Breakdown playlist. When I figure out how Spotify works, or I find a young person who can explain it to me, I will make a Brexit breakdown playlist, and I will add to it on the basis of that episode alone. You can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones, Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd, and The Long Unwinding Road by The Beatles. Um, All a bit old there, aren't they? (laughs) 
don't know what that says about our guests or our uh, wannabe listenership or whatever, but they're good tunes, they're good tunes, so maybe it just says that everybody that comes on this podcast has class and quality. If you would like to get in touch to dispute that, or indeed to add to the Brexit breakdown playlist, I'd very much like to hear from you. I am at Political Yeti on Twitter, or my website is james-miller.com. You can get me through that. You can find the whole list of recommendations there, and you can find all the uh, previous podcasts there. You can also find all the previous podcasts on the UK in a Changing Europe website, which is www.ukandeu.ac.uk, and their Twitter handle is also at UK and EU. The music this week has again been the Requiem for a Fish by the Freak Fandango Orchestra, and this has been the Brexit Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by UK and a Changing Europe, supported by King's College London, and funded and supported by the Economic and Social Research Council. I've been James Miller. Come back in two weeks for another episode. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs>